If you will, turn with me this morning to John chapter 17. <laughs> the Gospel of John chapter 17. This is the, what we call in uh, scholarship the fourth gospel. And as I was last, uh, this morning, sorry, this, was it this morning? I don't know. I didn't get much sleep, so it was either, yeah, it was last night. I turned into my wife's Bible, that's her Bible, and that is a, yes, passport picture of me. Um, that wasn't one that a professional photographer took other than just at CVS, but nonetheless, I, uh, I turned in her Bible, and she has several pictures in her Bible, if you know my wife, and her Bible uh, sits over there on the table, and of course, she, uh, she has her most precious people, I would think, in her Bible. And there's really only two pictures that I know of. There may be some more stuffed away because I didn't know this one was in there. But in her Bible is some precious real estate, if you will. And I made it in there, which I thought was great. That's number one, is I made it in there. I was thinking, oh, yeah. But interestingly, I was looking and flipping through her Bible because I wanted to read the passage we're going to read today from the New Living Translation. That's what... Uh, Jessica's Bible is, and my picture was right here by John 17, which is, which is kind of serendipitous or providential, either one, way you want to look at it. Uh, but here was my picture and then my life verse, which is John 17, 3. And I say that to say and set up this. Jessica and I went to a new, what's called New Room Conference in Nashville and one of the things on Thursday night that the Lord reminded me of 19 years later was John 17, 3. This passage, when I was 17 years old, wrecked my life in, a, in the best way possible. Because you know, when you're going the wrong way, there's no other good way than to turn around, to leave that life and go the other way. And at 17 years old, February 28, 1999, about 8.30 at night, the Lord did a work in my heart and called me in a way that I'd never heard before to lay it all down. And what became so real to me on that night was knowledge of God, which I grew up a pastor's kid. I'd heard thousands of sermons, it felt like, probably not realistically, not that my dad's preaching is bad. Forgive me, Father. But I'd grown up with the Word. I knew the Bible stories. I'd heard the preaching. I had the knowledge, but I didn't know God in the fullest way that He wants to be known. I knew about God. knew quite a bit about God. But I didn't know Him in the way that I did that night. That night, Christianity, Christ, went from being an idea to a person. From something I knew about to something that I was now known by. And I put this picture up because Thursday night, I felt like the Lord, we were, we were in a service and it was a service that was very open to what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. And we were invited to just respond however we would. And, and I just felt like I needed to kneel. 
and to bow down. Uh, I don't always do that, but I felt like I needed to, especially in light of some of the stuff we had covered in the past few weeks where, the, remember, the 24 elders, whenever you use holy, 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 24 elders, the four living creatures, all the host of heaven bows down every single time it said, holy, holy, holy. And I just had that image, and, and it was like the Lord was just impressing on my heart, don't say anything. So I just simply knelt down and, and bowed down, and, you know, there's 2,200 people around, so, I mean, it's, nobody even sees me, except for the one who needs to see me. And as I'm bowing down, I, I want to start praying while this song is, is happening. And it was like, I would say, Lord, help. And he's just quiet. Just quiet. Just be quiet. And that's, that's tough sometimes just to be quiet. And then I would think of something else. Oh, Lord, help us. Quiet. Quiet. Don't, don't, don't say anything. Just, just wait. Right at the end of the song, I, I just saw someone's feet come up. And then they laid their hand on me and started praying over me. And, of course, I've had this happen before. But what she was saying to me was, I know, inspired by the one I was being quiet for, trying to listen for. And she said several things, but one of which was, I just feel like you're struggling. And what you're struggling about, like Jacob struggled and wrestled with God, is this question. What do you want? What do you want from me? What do you want me to do? And of course, <laughs> I'm not going to take you through the internal history <laughs> of how that question particularly impacted me. Other than to say, like you probably, I want to be a superstar. I want to be successful. I want to be known. I want to be liked. I want to have a good family, a good marriage. And it was like you were saying, yeah, 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 but, but what do you really want from me? And then I said to God, I want to want you. I want to want to know you. Help my unbelief. And then she disappeared. She was gone, you know. Not that, like, she physically disappeared, you understand. <laughs> I don't want to over-spiritualize the moment, okay? I'm sure she went somewhere, all right? <laughs> but she was no longer there. When the song ended, she was gone. I got up, and then I went and sat down and started writing a couple notes. And then my buddy came and sat beside me, Billy, Billy Coppage. <laughs> and he said, so, so what were you praying about? <laughs> he was pretty direct. And I was like, oh, well, uh, I don't know that I've even had time to process, but... I think what I was praying about and what God was asking of me is, what do I really want? Like, he wants to give it to me, but what do I really want? And I, and I just told him, I, I know that anything less than him is not enough to ask from him. In other words, I can ask for a dog or a cat or a lizard, as we just heard from the kids, but those things don't last. And many things in our world don't last. And I know that if I don't ask for anything other than love, anything other than God, 
I'm asking for too little. When he, so to speak, opens up the pantry, we don't ask just for chips. Let us ask for something of substance. The best of the best. For He wants to give us good gifts, the Bible says. And truly, the greatest gift is His precious Holy Spirit. The holy breath of God. And so there I was Thursday night, again, wrecked at 37 years old rather than 17 by this thought that we can know God and be known by God and make Him known. Ah, I mean, so, what do you want? When Jesus had spoken these words, John 17, 1, and this was a long night for them, if you know the context, this is one long monologue, really. If your Bible shows red, just flip back a couple pages, it looks like somebody bled all over the text. It's just red, all of it. And he's being very serious with them, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and now he comes to this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes... To heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. <laughs> life verse for me. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus, would you speak that kind of word to us? Would you open the pantry of heaven today and may these, your friends... Feast today on what you have to offer, which is life eternal. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. You see, there is no marshal without knowing God. I am a pale ghost without knowing Jesus Christ. He and I are intertwined in such a way now that I don't make sense. And this is what God was teaching me that night, I think. There was a lot of things, I'm sure, that I'm a slow learner, so it might take me a couple years. Maybe that's why there was almost a 20-year gap between the first thing he taught me and now the second with knowing him. So you thought you were a slow learner. I'm a slower learner, trust me. But I wonder if it was this. The best thing that we can know in life is God. And by knowing Him, we know who we are. We know who others are. 
we know why the world exists. I just remember at 17 years old being on that stinky bus on the way back home from that youth retreat. They do get a little smelly. And I remember looking out the window and as the trees are passing, I just, it was like I saw the world differently. It was like even the trees were, were pushing upward to praise him. And I thought to myself, how have I missed this? I looked around at all the stinky people on that bus. And I thought, I actually love these people now. What happened? And I understood <laughs> my calling. Which was not, at the time, I, I'm just now learning this was not just to preach the Word of God. It wasn't just to pastor. It wasn't just to be a good dad or a good husband or a great friend. Those are all noble things to pursue. But it was to know God. That is my first calling. Truly, it's ground zero for how everything else is defined in my life. There is, as I open up that Bible, there is no Marshall without that passage. That picture disappears. It only appears because of the Word of God. What a thought that is. That we can know God and then be known by Him and make Him known. You know, this thing of what do we want? Who do we want, even? This is a big question like in religion. You know, I teach uh, world religions. And so I'm a little familiar with the big religions of the world. And it's interesting that Hindus, they ask this question too. They say, what do people really want? And they have four things that people really want. People want pleasure. In other words, given the opportunity to sit on the ground or sit in our nice, comfy, padded seats that some of you are getting snoozy in and it looked like you're praying for me even, you know? Just kidding, just kidding. Don't look around, don't look around. It's just just a joke. Um, But you'd rather sit in a comfy seat than on the ground, right? I mean, pleasure. We seek pleasure. We'd rather adjust the thermostat than not be able to do that on a hot, really hot September day. The second thing they say is this, success. So we'll give up pleasure if we think we can be successful at something. This is true. And after success, they say it's duty. Even beyond just being successful, your duty in life will drive you to do greater things than that. And then the best thing they say that one wants is liberation, is freedom. I I think those are things that we could agree with and say, you know what, I've certainly felt most of those things. I think I've even held a lot of those things in high order. You know, it's one of these things where today in our world, what we kind of call secularist or just modern era, postmodern, A, B, C, D, Z, X, Y, generational people, Um, You know, now they're returning back to the alphabet at at A. I don't know if you've heard this, but anyway. We still ask this question, what do you really want? And what we're finding them say is this, 
Some of the new generations say, hey, it's, it's whatever I want. That's what I want. It's whatever I want. But that's a tough thing, isn't it? What do you want after all, right? I mean, if you, you haven't really lived until you've had one of these first world problems of trying to find a place to eat. Anybody ever experienced one of these? Um, if you have a spouse or a really close friend, you've probably experienced one of these. Or maybe my family, maybe, hey, I'd like to take you out to eat. Well, where? The dreaded question. Why didn't you just choose? Now we're going to hate each other, you know? Now we're going to spend the next five minutes discussing and getting angry about our options and then feeling sad that we didn't go for burritos. We don't always know what we want, do we? It's not as easy as just simply saying, I'll give you what you want. What do you want? We don't really know always what we want. And sometimes we don't even like what we want. In other words, we get there and we chose the wrong place. I knew it. It's your fault. You made me rethink my decision. And in other times, we just simply can't get what we want. So what then? I think we need help. (laughs) I think this shows that we all need help. We've all felt this consternation in us. The good news is this. God doesn't have to guess at what we really want. He knows what we want because He made us. You could talk about it as need. Of course, He knows what we need, but it's really what we want. And it's not some artificial thing. Notice, sometimes we think in terms of Christianity, oh yeah, I, I need to not like that, and I need to not like that. And let's just press it down and try to be moral people because hopefully one day I'll grow into not liking that or or liking that. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about, this text is talking about that when we know God and He gives us His Spirit, when He breathes into us the breath of life into this statue of nothingness, then there's a whole new life. It's not even of different desires or of suppressions. If you thought Christianity was just about being moral or suppressing the bad that is in us, you've misunderstood what it means to follow Jesus, the risen Lord, to have Him give you His Spirit. When He gives you His Spirit, it is, the Bible says, like being reborn. All of a sudden, there's a new you. The problem becomes some of us haven't yet needed a new you enough. Or you're ignorant of it, or you're simply suppressing your true need, your true want. He knows what we need. You know, if you think back, and this may be dangerous, okay? I shouldn't have done this on friend day. But if you think back to maybe a first love for you, or maybe that first time with your now spouse where you let yourself trust them, 
where there was that moment where you said, not maybe physically or even mentally, but it was from the heart. You said, yes. It wasn't even something you maybe said to them to mess up the moment, but it was something you did. That's what I'm talking about. We oftentimes think in terms that we have to somehow get up to God. That's the wrong way to think about it. That's not what has happened. If we could actually see what is happening, He is coming down to us. Not us having to go up to Him. It's more like surrendering than climbing. We're not climbing up to God. And this is what, I want you to really hear this. It's what the enemy's main play is. It's the play he runs over and over again because it works. You know, if you find a play that works, you run it. Justin and I used to play Tecmo Bowl and Nintendo. And I used to get the Bears because they had Walter Payton. And when you have Walter Payton, you just run one play, you just hand in the ball and he runs down there and gets a touchdown. You never throw the ball. That's stupid. You can get a touchdown by running it. And the enemy has found a play on us. And here's what it says. You know you're not good enough. Other people know you're not good enough. So you just need to try better. And when you hear the preacher preach, just try better a little bit more. And incrementally, you know, you'll finally get there. When you're older, all those bad thoughts and bad feelings and bad desires are suppressed and they'll die away. And finally, you'll die and then you'll be fine. You'll go to heaven because you'll be a good old person and nobody's going to send a good old person to hell. That's the play. That's not the truth, friend. That is not the truth of the gospel. There is a new life to be entered into. A new life to be entered into. Do you understand? The Holy Spirit in you. A new life to be entered into. I'm not talking about you doing it. I'm talking about He's pressing in on us. He has come for us. He has incarnated Himself in human flesh and now sent His Spirit, poured out His Spirit. His grace is heavy. And it takes our decision to turn away. And so if we could really see, I don't think it's a matter of trying to believe, oh, let me just... Uh, let me try to believe in my head. Or kind of like, I just get the picture of Neo in the Matrix, you know, clear my mind, clear my, he tries to make the jump, and of course he doesn't make it. And Morpheus is like, oh. that's how we feel. And we just go through this cycle of trying, and maybe it's just more mental. Let me just, let me try to try a little harder. Uh, whatever that even looks like. Stop. Surrender. You know what surrender is? Dropping all weapons. This is not surrender, by the way. This is not surrender. I mean, I've only had a gun put on a, by a cop on me one time. Um, did I mention it was confession time this morning? Just kidding. Uh, Justin was there. <laughs> there there's a, um, you know how with, with people you're really close to, you can when, when they say something, you know if they're being serious or not, you know? And I heard my name in the woods. We were playing paintball. And I heard my name in the woods, Marshall. And I knew 
it, w- it wasn't just some ploy to get me to come out of my hiding place, because I had a fantastic hiding place. Um, <laughs> but I came out immediately, and I said, hey, guys, 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 something, something's going on. I, I just heard my brother call, and, and we got to get over. And we came out of the woods, and I had my paintball gun. He said, stop. And I'm like, there's a police officer with, with his gun drawn. And, you know, Justin was already over there. He's like, <laughs> and a couple other guys. And so I'm like, okay, uh, would you like me? Don't move. I'm like, oh. so I freeze. By the way, when the authorities are telling you to do something with a gun drone, you probably want to do that, okay? Um, and I, he said, undo your CO2. Psst. I'm like, okay, I'm going to drop that now, okay, sir? You know, making sure every Surrender is dropping it all. Surrender is doing what he says. It's this posture. Completely vulnerable. Are you willing to surrender to what is already pressing in upon us? Which is the kingdom of God, we're told. Jesus comes preaching. What does he come preaching? That the kingdom of God is here. Here. Do we believe that? Do we have eyes of faith to see that? If we don't, then we need to cry out and say, Lord, I want to see that. I want to be a part of that kingdom, that eternal kingdom that is pressing in on us. Not my own kingdom. I, you know, I don't want to build my kingdom. We must surrender to him. It's the only way. And when we surrender, the new life just begins to rush in. We put all the other stuff aside. We drop all of our weapons, let down our walls, open up the door, and we surrender. And then he does his work. You see, the dirty secret is this. It's God's work, not your trying. And that's why the enemy's main play is to just simply keep us trying over and over again. I'm here to tell you, friend, as a friend to a friend, That's not Christianity. That is not what Jesus is calling us to do. He's going to do your work, and I don't know what He's going to do to you, but I know it's going to be good. He called me to be a preacher, to be a pastor, to be a quasi-scholar, studier of His Word, to be a husband, to be a father. What is He calling you to do? You won't ever know unless you surrender. When you surrender, He can breathe His life into us. We can stop being a statue of goodness and decency and be wrecked by His love. Be wrecked by who He is. You know, by nature, we're sons of Adam. By nature, we have biological life. Bios is actually the term we use, right? The root term. But the scripture, oh man, this is good. Let me just, y'all can't, you might not be able to see this unless you know Greek and you've already looked this up in an interlinear text. But nonetheless, John 17, 3, when it says, this is eternal life. Do you know the word for life that's used? It's not bios. It's not some kind of eternal biological life. Because I don't know that I would sign up for that. I think I want to die at some point. You know what I mean? I mean, this life sometimes is just, it's like, wow, I don't know that I want to just continue living on as is. But instead, no, no, no. 
This is resurrection life. The term here in the Greek is zoe. Just like the girl's name, zoe. Z-O-E. And this is a life that is only given by God. It is God's life. We oftentimes talk about how there's a lot of life to be shared in our band meetings what we call banded discipleship or our small groups. But let me tell you something. The original small group, the original band, if you will, of three people, three persons, is the Holy Trinity, is God himself. Life emanates out of the three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we get tired in this body. This body will decay. Everything around us will decay. But not, Zoe. Not eternal life. You don't have to wish for harps and clouds and gold streets. Those are all images. I love the way Lewis jokes in Mere Christianity. He says, if you can't, he says, people who actually take that stuff literally and think we're going to be strumming a harp up there, he's like, you shouldn't be reading grown up books. That's what he says in his book. I was like, oh, I actually like that. Those are images. Of what is to come. Music being something powerful in our life. Gold being something that never decays. It doesn't rust. These are images. And so are the images that we have of hell. Which are darkness. Fire. Absolute separation. You say, I don't believe in a literal hell. Because the Bible doesn't speak about literal hell. It only uses images of hell. What, do those images look nice to you? Doesn't sound like a picnic to me. I might agree with you that there's not a literal description because we may not be able to describe separation from God. Some of you, though, know it well because you're living in it now. This is called the thinker. You've probably seen this before, right? It's a, it's a famous piece of artwork uh, by a guy named Rodin. And it used to be called simply The Poet. It was done in the 19th century. What many people don't know is this is not a correct representation of what he did. This is taking one piece of the artwork of what he did and separating it as individualism. It looks as if he's thinking alone in some kind of decision or maybe scholarly questioning some decision... Bob, pull up the next slide. This is the real artwork and what surrounds him. If you've ever seen this, you know this. It was meant to be a doorway. It was actually called the gates of hell. Because that is Dante's, from the Inferno, recollection of what... So in other words, he was trying to create Dante's gates of hell. And the thinker sits with all of these other characters around him. Some of them dead looking, some of them alive, all of them struggling. And he sits and ponders indecision. Pull up the whole photo there. That's the whole picture. And he is right here at the top of the doorway. And all of this is hell. Didn't zoom in on purpose. There's some rather disturbing images in the doorway. I say that to say this. 
Sometimes we think this thing is all about us. It's my decision. If I don't want to serve God, it's not going to really impact anybody else. That's not true, friend. It impacts my children when you don't follow Jesus. It impacts me. It impacts your children and your children's children, the Bible says. For the wicked generation, he says, I will only limit it for two or three generations of wickedness. But for the one, get this promise, for the one who trusts in God, thousands of generations will be blessed. People want to save the world. People want to do something good for the world. Send up good vibes and all this kind of energy. and all. Let me just tell you something, friend. The only good vibe is the Holy Spirit. The only good energy, with a capital E, is the Holy Spirit. And if we're not breathing Him in and walking in the Spirit day by day, as if we're restarting every day in Him, we're not living. And we're still at the point of pondering, and maybe for us, even pondering right on the brink of hell. If we could kind of see ourselves right now in spiritual eyes, I wonder where we are in this whole process. I wonder if we've been tricked and if we're willing even to say that we have. It's a hard thing to say that we're wrong. It's a hard thing to turn around and go another way. But I can promise you this. If you do today, turn around, look up. Don't look down. Look up. What you'll see is Jesus reaching out to us by his Holy Spirit. And your life can be transformed if you will surrender. If you're willing to give up, to lay it down, to repent and believe. Maybe you, like me and so many others, could be wrecked by this scripture of knowing God. By the person of the Spirit who makes it possible for us to know the love of the Father and of the Son and to be obedient to Him. What better thought than to be made a friend of God today on Friend Day? Jesus is here. Come now and be atoned by His work. Be made at one with Him today and forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.